Welcome to the SSI Orbit Podcast, a forum where we explore the ever-growing ecosystems of self-sovereign identity. And I'm your host, Matsur Glode. We're fortunate in this episode to be speaking with Joni Brennan, the president of the Digital Identity and Authentication Council of Canada. Joni's a world-class thought leader in digital identity, and there's so much to unpack out of this conversation. So I really suggest not speeding up the audio at all as you listen to this. So in this episode, we cover a wide variety of topics that we could have spent hours on individually as Joni could go so deep into all of them. So we covered things like Digital Identity 101, what the digital identity landscape in Canada looks like. We talked about the DIAC and the Pan-Canadian Trust Framework, which is a really innovative trust framework coming out of the DIAC. We talked about challenges of achieving digital trust. And we also touched upon why collaboration and interoperability are so important to achieving digital trust. So without further ado, here's the conversation with Joni Brennan. Enjoy. Thank you, Joni, for uh, for doing this today with, with me. Very excited to have you here and to, to have uh, a good conversation with you. Um, I'll give a, a little introduction for, for our listeners here, for those who, who don't know Joni. Um, Joni is the president of the Digital ID and Authentication Council of Canada, so the DIAC. And Joni builds on nearly 20 years of experience in digital identity innovations and standards development. So couldn't get anyone better than Joni here today. Um, Joni helps the DIAC to fulfill its vision of unlocking interoperability of public and private sector capabilities through the establishment of a trust framework that we'll get into through this conversation that will grow Canada's economy. Um, before joining the DIAC, Joni was the Cantara Initiative's Executive Director, driving programs for business, legal, technology, interoperability to connect entities and individuals in a more trustworthy environment. So since being president of the DIAC, Joni's grown the membership of the DIAC uh, considerably, I think, and uh, it's awesome to see uh, many large influential organizations in both the Canadian private and public sector um, various governments and various financial institutions like BMO, Desjardins, RBC, uh, various telcos as well, uh, the, the list goes on and on. Um, and yeah, lastly, Joni is recognized as uh, one world identity top 100 influencers of identity. I'm sure there's a lot more to say, Joni, but uh, thank you again for doing this today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and thanks for reading through that bio. Uh, sometimes I cringe when I hear long bios being read. Um, but all of that to say, yeah, I'm, I'm really thrilled to work uh, in digital identity innovation. And um, a lot of what I do is just connecting really talented and brilliant people to do what they do um, in a more organized way um, so that we can move forward on the common challenges and the common opportunities and then compete in those places. Um, you know, where organizations have some differentiators. So uh, it's a real thrill to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation. Yeah, and you, you know what, I, I think sometimes we, um, we don't brag enough about uh, our stuff like in Canada here and who we see this a lot uh, with the, just the funny difference between customers we have in the US and Canada, but there's so much strength in Canada, but uh, people are just so humble <laughs> in general. Yeah. I think that's really true. And I think that, um, you know, when you mentioned about the membership growing, I mean, you know, it's uh, it, it really is something to come to a place in an organization that just has so much potential 
um, where people are so passionate. And so, you know, it was really a, just a great opportunity to help direct that energy. Um, it wouldn't have happened without the, you know, we wouldn't have this growth if we didn't have the, um, the passion and the energy and the expertise. And I agree, there is often a kind of a look outward, which is good to learn what's happening outward and to, to pull that information in. Um, but sometimes, you know, we, you know, we lose sight of all of the things that we are um, great at and that we're moving forward at. And so, you know, striking that healthy balance is, um, you know, something that we're uh, working to do. And again, there's a ton of opportunity here in Canada and I'm thrilled to be a part of it. For sure. Um, so I guess uh, we started getting, um, like Northern Block as a company had started getting quite interested in digital identity um, a few years ago. And it was a, a lot of these decentralized blockchain-based distributed architecture solutions that we were building um, were great, but they kind of had a bottleneck in all of them where we weren't able to properly manage identity and credentials and compliance and stuff like that. Um, without doing it in a centralized way. And it took, uh, it took away a little bit from, from the, the centralized vision that we had with uh, many of our clients' projects. So we've, we've always kind of been interested in the space. Um, we've obviously gone a lot deeper into centralized identity over the past little while. But the centralized identity, I guess, is just one subset of digital identity as a whole. Um, and for someone like yourself, that's just been like deep in the digital identity space for, for quite some years now, how, how would you explain digital identity to someone new that's just trying to get into the space or learn about it? Yeah, um, and it is, it is fascinating. I kind of think um, in some ways, I think that, um, you know, blockchain happened to us in the identity space, you know, it, it intersected us. And um, decentralized, you know, the decentralized model um, intersected us. And so it's been really fascinating to see. And so, so just to kind of step back on that question around, you know, how would I describe identity? I, I would describe identity as a, a, a collection of, of data and, and attributes that, that describe you. Um, and so if you think about it as almost like a, a bag of data or bag of attributes, these are the things that describe you and who you are. Um, some of those, some of those pieces of information are going to be things that you put forward. Um, and some of those pieces are, of information are going to be things that others are, are confirming or validating about you. Um, and so really it's that, it's that sum total collection, um, you know, that, that make up um, the foundation of identity. Some of those pieces of data are more authoritative or more legally binding, others less so. Um, and then if we think about things like um, your identity, we can also think about something that's called personas. And so, you know, the way that we present ourselves to the world, I may have one, um, I have a, a single identity for who I am, um, but the persona that I put forward may have one kind of shape and size uh, from a career or work perspective. And the persona that I put forward, um, you know, in my in my personal life um, may have a, a different kind of a shape and perspective. And so the, the weight of how important that data is, is very contextually based. Um, and, um, yeah, so I think you just think about it as that, <clears throat> that sum total of that data about you and, and, and how it's organized and how it's presented. What would be an example of, I guess you gave an example of like a self-attested or you say something about yourself, but what would be like a legal binding piece of identity data? Like where would that come from? Yeah. <clears throat> so I think that the legal binding, um, 
identity data from the, you know, the, the digital perspective. We have lots of legal binding identity data today. Um, it's just not always in digital format. And so um, birth certificate is a legal binding, um, you know, piece of data about you. Um, <clears throat> a, uh, a driver's license is a credential to drive. It includes legally binding information, um, often about you, your, your date of birth, maybe some characteristics um, about you um, that are you know, captured in that driving credential. Um, legally binding as well, um, what, we, what we call in Canada foundational, so birth certificate is foundational. Um, also um, a permanent resident card is a, is a foundational piece of evidence um, about you, about who you are, um, that, that legally instantiates um, your identity. Um, now, now, now these aren't fully digital yet, so that's something that we're working on, um, but there can be other legally binding um, attributes um, that are assigned to you. And that might be, um, you know, are you a certified physician or are you an active um, lawyer? And so different kinds of um, professional certifications and accreditations as well um, can be legally binding in terms of your liability, in terms of contracts that you're involved in. Um, so, so I think that the, the legally binding space um, on identity and data is something that needs to be worked on. And I think that we um, in Canada have seen a lot of work um, and, and continue to see work, for example, on, um, you know, for example, in the federal space on Bill C-11 on consumer rights and consumer protections around data about them. I think we're missing um, a real opportunity around a holistic view on data rights in general, um, centered around the user and those data rights, whether that data is um, being generated and, and, and is in the custodianship of a private sector entity or whether that data is being generated um, by a public sector entity. So, so that's part of the work that we're doing here in DIAC, which is not only in the nuts and the bolts of kind of how these systems and solutions work, but the pieces that are missing and where the, um, where the policy attention needs to go um, to ensure that we actually have that data available um, and that we're empowered with it and we can use it. Um, and at the same time though, that we understand um, kind of what the risks and protections may be and what the obligations are um, around that data, depending how it's used. I think like, identity data is, um, if you take take that as a subset of just like digital credentials or digital data, is is a very touchy area for a, a yeah. lot of the different aspects. And I think just generally the conversation about legislation, um, I've been seeing a lot more of it recently. Um, with a lot of you know, it's like unrelated but kind of related, like what's been happening on the social networks and stuff like that. That you yeah. realize the effect that. Uh, private companies and stuff could have on the way data is managed or used or uh, right. <laughs> how things could be canceled completely. And so do you think at this point, like when you, you talk about policy, is this an area within the digital identity landscape that uh, the public sector or government would, would need to come in and uh, maybe revamp some of the, the laws that, that were in place before this digital world kind of took off so fast? Yeah, and, and I think it's a great question. And, you know, I'll, I'll also make clear that, you know, when I'm, I'm speaking, I'm, I'm, you know, speaking for myself today. I'm, and, and in sometimes cases, I'm speaking for DIAC, but I'm not speaking for government of Canada or any of the provinces or individual members. So, um, but that said, you know, my personal view is 
Um, yes, there needs to be leadership from a policy perspective um, regarding access to data. Um, I would say that um, it's a, um, from a policy perspective, it's a gray area today um, in terms of um, what access you should have to data, how you should be able to use it. Um, you know, I think that we often um, kind of get data displayed to us when we're logging into a system, but we can't necessarily get that data out um, and use it um, in a particular way. And so uh, I think that, um, that, you know, there's work to be done. We know we have as one of our objectives, helping to identify the policy enablers as well as the policy barriers. It's gonna be quite the study. So we're working on kind of how to do that and how to do that in partnership and, and how to do that efficiently um, in a way uh, that helps reduce uncertainty. Um, but I would also say that, you know, if we looked at, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give you kind of my own, my own experiential use case. Um, you know, I, I immigrated to Canada and I went through a very significant verification process with the federal government in order to immigrate. Um, <clears throat> where they, you know, verified a lot of information. And, um, you know, due to the current existing policy, there is no structure by which I could, I could either give permission or direct um, Immigration and Refugees Canada to provide that package of verified information to the province that I was moving to. So I had to kind of re-go through that process of enrollment and, and verification um, with the province that I was moving to. And so, you know, part of the challenge there is that actually there is policy that says departments are not allowed to share information and that policy can be very good. Um, so, you know, it's not to say that that's bad policy, um, but what it is to say is that there is no voice for the um, citizen or for the resident um, to actually be empowered to say, hey, I've provided all this data, I understand the circumstances and the purpose of that, and now I, I you know, direct you to share that data or I ask you to share that data with another party for a purpose of my choosing. So, so actually there is prohibitive um, um, policy in place right now that won't allow that. And so, you know, I think we wanna, we wanna keep the protections but what we need to focus on the empowerment side of it and, um, you know, singular information sharing agreements, whether that's um, across public sector actors or, or also information sharing agreements across private sector actors, it's just not scalable. And so if we can get to an ecosystem that really puts people more in control and more empowered, of course, we still are going to have different types of governance from one network to another. Um, so we you know, respect and understand that there will be different liability schemes, different governance and different um, ecosystems. Um, but you know, creating this, this pathway so that I can actually make digital utility of the information that's in that driving credential, or I can make digital utility of the information that's in that um, permanent resident card. That's the place where we have to, you know, I think we have to get to. Digital utility in the driver's license different than digitized uh, driver's license? Does it have extra layers to that? Is that a good way of breaking it yeah, down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, you know, the difference between digital and digitized. And, you know, digitized is kind of capturing something um, that exists and simply kind of 
making it digital and and you know like like it, it, it just, uh, like like taking the picture of the identity card and and putting it into a you know into a container of some sort um you know and in that aspects that that could be digitized um but you know true digital identity would be able to actually leverage the data that's in that card and would be able to have those pieces of data um be verifiable and so you know even looking at um if we looked at the, the driver's license credential, which is a derived credential that, that is based on another, you know, some kind of foundational evidence. Um, if, if we got to truly digital, um, the only kind of thing we might need to pass is a token that says I'm of age of consent or not, um, or a token that says, you know, or, or a piece of data that says that I live in British Columbia, um, you know, as an example. So if we get truly to digital, then we're actually working with particular um, attributes or particular claims, <clears throat> um, you know, about us, uh, whether those are self-issued claims that we make about ourselves or whether that they're third-party um, authoritative claims from another source. So, so the kind of difference between digitized is, um, is you know, has utility. Um, however, what we're really after is digital, which actually gets to the heart of the um, verified and verifiable data and making it usable uh, for people, as well as for people who are acting on behalf of businesses and as well as for governments. As long as we have choice, control, and consent um, in that ecosystem, then, you know, th that's, a, that's the, the priority here. And I, I think that gets you much closer to these user-centric security by design, privacy by design, all these experiences that, that we're striving for comes from having the ability to be selective about what you're sharing, not sharing, the ability to be selective about your personas, like you mentioned earlier, all, all these other things. Um, That's right. So I, I want to move on now and appreciate the overview here um, of digital ID as a whole. But if we look at digital ID um, within a Canadian perspective, um, you know, I, we're, we're seeing more and more, and you, you have great visibility into this, both at a federal and provincial level. A lot of the governments in Canada seem to be um, investing a lot into their digital identity strategies to really revamp the architecture and, and really get towards some of these goals that, that like we've been talking about here. Um, how, how do you see digital identity in Canada and how, how does it compare to, to what's happening in other countries or other areas like the European Union? Like that, I think there's a lot of good stuff happening in Canada and a lot of innovation and leadership happening in Canada. So how, how do you compare the digital identity in Canada to what's, what you're seeing in the rest of the world? Yeah, it is. Um, it's a great question. And, and I would say it's also kind of an interesting question as, um, you know, an immigrant from New Jersey um, in Canada and kind of, you know, feeling the, the cultural differences of how particular regions might look at things and also someone who's worked in the space um, in, a, in, a, in a global um, landscape. And I would say that, um, you know, there are times when we are not good at always calling out the places where we are um, moving forward. And, and there are times when we are also falling behind. And so it's not a, you know, there's not a singular perfect answer. And, and if we get into levels of, levels of assurance, we'll talk about the importance of having kind of more defined scorecards. But um, 
yeah, how, where we are and how we're doing, it really depends on what kind of question we're asking. And so, um, you know, back in um, 2000, I think it was 2014, um, <clears throat> DIAC put out a white paper that said uh, building Canada's digital future. And what it talked about in this white paper um, was the opportunity for public and private sector to come together in Canada and to put an economic benefits for all approach at the forefront. Um, the economy is important for everyone, um, whether you're, you know, an individual or a business owner or whether you're a government, you know, entity, the economy matters to all of us. So, so let's, you know, put the economy and benefits for all first, and then let's put public and private together under that umbrella to collaborate, to develop an approach forward. That kernel right there is world leading, you know, I would argue, and, um, and I had not seen any organization or any, or any kind of um, region really take that very specific approach um, until I got to Canada, until I got to DIAC. So <clears throat> I think that's very unique. Um, I've been in other countries around the world, New Zealand, um, as an example, um, you know, I've, I've seen who, who have, who have, you know, very clearly stated that that was fascinating for them and, and, and something that was inspiring for them. I've since seen many other, you know, regions around the world start to pick up that, you know, that kind of economic lens, um, as a place that they're moving. And I think that that's fantastic, even so far as, um, um, the EIDAS program across the European member states, which is instantiated to enable um, benefits delivery. So we have kind of trust point anchors in each of the, across each of the um, European uh, member states so that we can ensure that people can get access to their insurance or their you know, service delivery from the government side, a single market for that. Um, EIDAS did not build in the kind of broad economic private sector lens kind of into that. And in, um, and then in the end of last year, um, you know, there's a speech that um, Angela Merkel gave where she talks about the importance of these systems for a digital single market, for um, economic growth um, that benefits everyone. And so, so we can see that the EIDAS uh, kind of 2.0 version, the next version of EIDAS is really contemplating how do we bring in both sides of this picture of public capabilities and private capabilities into the same ecosystem? And so if you ask me kind of from that framing, we were way ahead um, in looking at that as a collaborative and recognizing that people are at the center and they, they transact, whether they're transacting with government or whether they're transacting with business. So we're way ahead there. Um, <clears throat> I think that there's also a tendency to kind of look to our friends in Estonia, which is great. There's lots to learn there. Um, you know, uh, so, so, so that's, it. we should always be looking at what's happening around the world. Um, but we have to recognize too that, you know, we are a federated country um, and we have, you know, just like our healthcare system, you know, if people say, oh, you know, Canadian public healthcare, well, it's actually provincial public healthcare. There are 14 entities that are, you know, that, that are providing healthcare services, not a singular one. And so, um, so identity is the same way. Um, and so, you know, we have to have, we have to, we have to be able to pick and choose the things that work for us and, and organize them in a way that works with our federated governance and, 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 and our culture as well. 
um, because you know we, we're also culturally, um, you know, uh, we, we have our own cultural uniqueness in terms of what people are looking for and what they aren't. Um, so I think that um, I think that in some cases where there are, um, you know, what we've typically seen on the digital identity front is <clears throat> that it will typically be done top down, government top down approach. Um, it's kind of very singular and solves a particular need. And so there are some places where we are behind, um, even in that top down, you know, how I transact with government approach. Um, you know, we're not as far as we'd like to be. Um, when it comes to that economic view, I think we're quite ahead. Um, is it an easy path? It's not an easy path. Um, you're bringing together players that have different cultures, different priorities. Um, they organize their priorities. Maybe they have the same priorities, but they, they're organized in different ways. And so um, different working styles. And so um, it really is fascinating <clears throat> to be in DIAC where we have peers, partners and competitors. And you know, so we have um, healthy collaboration and healthy tension, whether that's across public sector actors, private sector actors, or the collective as a whole. Um, so, so we're quite ahead in the sense of the collaborative and the vision and the view, um, and in the way that we've crafted our framework for that purpose. Um, for some of the specific use cases and kind of where we are on that journey, we're behind, we need to get moving. Um, but I think that, you know, because we've looked at this through, uh, you know, ultimately, um, I do think that we're in good position, but if we don't have the political priority um, from, from, from different orders of government, federal and provincial and territorial, um, if we don't get the priority, um, we are not gonna be able to excel the way that we need to. And if we don't have a common data approach, common data strategy where people's, people data is concerned, we're not gonna be able to leverage all the acceleration that's happened. Um, so it's, a, it's, a, it's not a simple answer. Um, I think as well, um, when we look at kind of identity in the context of um, banking or the financial sector, we have lots of collaboration there and, and, and we're either on pace or ahead in terms of how the financial sector is collaborating depend on, depending on where and how you're comparing, um, you, you know, you're making these comparisons. Um, when we look at from the public sector perspective, the provinces and the territories are all in different places. And so I think there's a real opportunity for them to kind of come together and, and you know, be clear about the kind of ecosystem, like how many credentials will be available in each of the provinces that like that could drive a market if we knew, you know, numbers on how many credentials we saw going forward that could get out into play. Um, and that would help, you know, digital wallet designers and the directions that they're, you know, they would be going. And so, so I think there's a real opportunity. Um, I think, you know, also related to this question, I do think that we have to be careful because I think that if we, um, you know, in your question earlier, you asked about kind of, you know, how the distributed ecosystem looks maybe to somebody who's been doing this for kind of 20 years, you know, or so. Um, and I think that we have to be, you know, careful if we, um, we have to recognize that there is a global landscape on the technologies. The, the, the governance and the policy is going to be very local. And when we try to get governance and policy to be global, you know, we have to recognize all of the complexities that come into play there. Um, when it comes to the technology, it's not exactly the same space. And so, you know, I think that, um, you know, if we were as Canada to try to technically tighten a solution down so tight, um, let's say, for example, around something like digital wallets, 
we might find ourselves in a place where we're not going to be able to interact with ecosystems around the world. And so we have to be watching, um, you know, and, and watching and contributing and consuming and paying attention and, and, and incorporating what's happening on a global landscape. And I'll give you an example there. Um, you know, there, there's not a singular standard for, for digital wallets yet. Um, you know, there's, there's barely even a collection of standards around digital wallets. And so, so that's a space that it needs to play out in the ecosystem um, before we can make, you know, any kind of statements or decisions about what the technology should look like. We can certainly have principles and we can certainly have guidance. Um, that needs to play out further, I would say, personally. Um, when we look at something like data models, something like the verifiable credentials at the W3C and, you know, particularly JSON-LD, this is a place where we are seeing kind of global momentum towards this data model as an example. It's not the only data model, but we are seeing momentum there. And so if we're saying, if we can kind of, if we can make statements that we say, hey, you know, what's happening with W3C on that data model, that's important. We need to pay attention to that. We need to have systems ready for that because that can be, that's something that's getting a global kind of convergence and consensus. Where we're not seeing that global consensus or convergence, we can't run to try to tighten something down because we might end up in a place where, you know, we've, we've, we'll have to reverse engineer, we'll lose funds, we'll lose time. So we, we have to stay very agile, um, I think, in a space, in a technology space like that. So um, yeah, it is a complex landscape. We are seeing pieces moving forward. We're, um, and, and, and when we think about kind of what we're doing in Canada and in the Pan-Canadian Trust Framework as well, I like to think that it's really um, additive. Um, and so what I mean by additive is, you know, I remember very clearly um, the development of the security assertion markup language, SAML. <clears throat> I remember, uh, you know, very clearly as well um, the emergence of OpenID and OpenID Connect, you know, and, and I remember very clearly, you know, people stating, oh, SAML is dead now. SAML's over. Well, SAML is not over. <laughs> SAML's not going to be over in any time soon. Um, neither is OpenID going to be over anytime soon. Um, and if you look at something like, um, you know, the, the FIDO Alliance and the UAF and the U2F and the web tokens, um, you know, FIDO Alliance would say kill the password. I think that's something we can all get behind. But I think the rumors of the password's death are very hasty because I think we're probably going to have passwords for, you know, for quite some time still. I think, you know, we're going to see the slow demise of passwords, but they're not going to go away overnight. So when we think about technology and the way that we move forward, we also have to think, and, and, and for Canada and being a header behind, we really have to think about the ecosystem as, as being additive, as recognizing many technologies will be in play. We have to have structures to be able to handle and verify when and how those technologies are used, what governance is overlaid. Um, and we also need to be able to slice through on the things that are important to help us move forward. And so I think whether you're talking about self-sovereign identity or whether you're talking about classic federation, what's important for all of those is access to verified and verifiable data. And so if we can kind of keep our focus there um, and recognize that interoperability in 2021 um, is not necessarily what interoperability looked like in uh, 2010. You know, it's not, let's all use the same spec and let's all design the same way and now we're all interoperable. Interoperability now looks more like, okay, we've got different networks, different architectures, different technologies, different governance. Can we consume the same data? 
can we take that data and make it usable in our ecosystem? So the 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 kind of race on where we are, I think you really have to take kind of a scorecard look at it versus a singular kind of position. And and it is complex and it is a moving target. A lot to unpack out of uh, out of that, Joni. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where to start? I I think um, when you started there with like the the people. We hear this all the time. Like Estonia just gets thrown up there all the time. Of like a successful program or whatever. Like, oh, why don't you implement this? Uh, um, I think, like you mentioned, just based on Canada, the way Canada is structured, it's just it's just so different than it's it's unique, right? Compared to anywhere else, uh, every and every place is unique to that to that matter. Um, and I, I think it is quite interesting to see some top-down initiatives happening, happening like we're seeing in Germany too, where they are having meetings. They had meetings at the end of last year to really put the importance uh, uh, behind their digital identity strategy. And I think it's it, it's it's awesome that uh, these countries are realizing numbers that the DIAC put out too, right? There's um, yeah. not an insignificant percentage of GDP that could be uh, gained in value uh, with with a proper digital identity strategy in a country. Um, and even more important yeah. in uh, emerging economies as well. Um, I think the, the importance here is, and I, I really appreciate that it's like, yeah, we need to set principles, but we can't jump into anything because we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot if we, if we do that. Um, yeah. And it isn't just local, it's global. And I, I think that the one thing to just remember is that not one solution fits the whole thing. Um, yeah. Collaboration is needed. Um, every, Different people bring different tools that are all part of the same toolkit, but they need to be able to work together to, to really take us to, to the next stage here. And it's, it seems like that, like with the Pan-Canadian Trust Framework and the principles coming out of that and the collaboration between the public and the private sector with, with this trust framework, this is really what you're, you're trying to achieve here in Canada is like, hey, like everyone needs to, uh, to be working together and, and um, you could agree to disagree on certain things, but you need to agree on certain principles. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Um, so I guess the the last piece here, I wanted to just, and it kind of follows what we were talking about, uh, ecosystem collaboration here. You mentioned interoperability. Um, how, how are you and how is the DIAC pushing for to make interoperability, uh, to make it a, real, a reality uh, in 2021, or at least in the next few years? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great question. And and I think we do have, you know, some degree of interoperability now. Um, I think we, we, you know, we do see, um, you know, some networks that are, are sharing information. And um, so, so I, I think that, again, you know, I think we have building blocks and I think we have, we have pieces um, and I think we have just a ton of, you know, goodwill and passionate people and passionate organizations. So it's kind of about it's about focusing and, and supercharging on the, on what's important um, and collaborating and working together. And so, um, so with the pan Canadian trust framework, um, it, it's, it was a, it's been a really interesting um, journey, um, a unique journey again, you know, 
different orders of government, um, as well as private sector, you know, sitting at the virtual table um, and, and having many, many public consultation periods where we got, you know, over, you know, I think 4,000 comments from um, at least five countries around the world. And so, so being very um, open and collaborative, but still having that sort of safe governance space for, for different partners to work together there. Um, it's been a unique journey. And, and we um, are in the process right now of what we call alpha testing the framework. We're not alpha testing solutions. Um, <clears throat> because what we want to do here is validate and make sure that the framework behaves the way that we thought it was going to and the way that we specified it. So that it is going to provide value on the interoperability front. Um, and, and when we look at kind of the principles of the way the framework is built, um, one of the things that was so challenging and, and also so exciting is that it's not built for a singular model. Um, it's built in a way that it, it should, it, it can and must be applicable for your classic federation models or your kind of authentication hubs. And so, so all of those existing systems. Um, and then it's also built to be able to bend and flex um, for um, hybrids uh, uh, in the distributed identity ecosystems, um, um, you know, permission distributed identity ecosystems, trusted networks, trusted operator networks, um, to, to very distributed, very open self-sovereign networks um, that may have, you know, le less controls in terms of how um, how, how participants engage in that ecosystem. So, so, so that's, you know, it's always easier if you kind of start with a, if you kind of start with a common picture, say like, this is what a house looks like. We're all going to design for this house. That makes it a lot easier. Um, if you start with a, you know, it, it might be a house, it might be a tent, it might be a lean to, <laughs> you know, it's, you, you, you have to find your way through that and recognize, you know, how you can, um, how you can approach the design so that you can get that a la carte as well as combined utility for the pieces. Um, and so we, you know, we, we work through that. Um, and the way that we work through that was with a very component based approach. And so we could have particular, a particular component for credentials. We have a particular component for authentication, a component for verifying a person, verifying an organization. Um, we have a privacy component, but we also have privacy built in to every single piece of the framework. Um, <clears throat> so, um, you know, the way that you deal with a wicked problem in one way is to componentize. And so that's what we did. So we can, um, you know, we can, we can fix one piece and not tussle all of the others if there's no reason to do so. Um, and that also enables uh, organizations to come and pull off the shelf for the piece that's most important for them. So we are alpha testing right now um, the framework with uh, different kinds of actors, public and private, um, with assessors, um, and, and we're going to learn through this process, you know, what may need to change and what may not need to change, um, if any, uh, anything. And, uh, and so we're going to get real, real knowledge there. Um, I will say uh, that what we're also seeing already is that, um, you know, DIAC and our priorities are really driven by members. Um, and so, and, and our members are experts um, in digital identity. And so while some organizations kind of focus on 
every piece of the puzzle and the ecosystem, um, we are really that very focused horizontal of identity that cuts across all the different verticals. And so, so we are driven by those member expert and experience-based priorities. And something that the members were calling for is a um, digital wallet component for the PCTF. So they're actively, um, you know, working on what that could look like now. And so again, you know, going into that component approach, that is to say, we may add other, we're, we're very likely to add components as we move forward um, in this framework as the ecosystem demands. Um, and, and, and we have a, a timed review process for how those things might need to adjust, uh, those components might need to adjust over time. So that's, so this is all exciting. We're, we're kind of, um, you know, we're, we're kicking the tires on version one. Um, the group is already demanding, you know, pieces around a digital wallet um, and what those principles look like. And, um, and so in the framework are uh, our defined processes um, for, for different um, features and capabilities. Um, and they have notions of levels of assurance tied in or, or you know, identified. And, um, and, then, and then the framework also works by reference in terms of calling out specific technologies. Are they calling out where you should use particular encryption or where you should use, you know, which technologies would be acceptable in, in which um, instances. So um, what, we've, what we're in our roadmap um, is to launch the, the certification program for the PCTF, which is called Voila Verified. And the Voila Verified program, um, uh, so it will launch at the end of 2021 and, um, and organizations will be able to pull pieces off of the shelf and work through our process with um, information security auditors that we recognize and a laboratory that we recognize um, to provide both from an information security perspective a verification that the organization has been following the processes and the procedures and the governance that are defined. Um, and then uh, with a laboratory from the perspective of how the code was actually implemented and as was it implemented as was specified. So you need those kind of two pieces of the puzzle. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're excited for that program. And the organizations um, who are alpha testing the PCTF right now are DIAC members. And what's great about that is, you know, they get real operational knowledge by going through the, you know, the, the materials that we've prepared. So they, they get strategic and, and operational knowledge by going through that um, internally. They also get a view on kind of where they might be in terms of being able to achieve that trust mark or not. Um, and so when we do launch the program, it's, I would suspect that the organizations that have done the alpha test are probably going to be further down the line or have a good idea in terms of, um, you know, their ability to earn a trust mark or not. So in our roadmap is launching that program um, in 2020, uh, end of 2021 and expanding it in 2022. Um, I would also predict that we're, um, you know, we're likely to have um, what we call profiles or is sometimes are sometimes called schemes. And so that might be, um, you know, we have the, the base pan Canadian trust framework. And if we have a particular network or a particular community, they may say, well, okay, we have the base. We're not loosening the rigor on the base, um, but we might add on top of, and we might say, these are the pieces that are important to us. So for network X, um, profile X or scheme X is the one that we're using. And so you know, I think we'll see different flavors of um, what that, uh, how that trust mark is applied and, and the utility that trust mark provides. Um, the other thing that we're contemplating with regard to um, interoperability um, is, 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 is having that pathway for what we'll call network interoperability and, or network verification. And so what I mean by that is, um, 
you know, if you're working in an ecosystem of a, like a trusted operator or a trusted network operator, or even, you know, kind of a classic federation operator, there's a specific set of agreements. And they say, these are the things that we have to follow. And they, and they, so, so you may need a certification to get in that virtual door. Um, in the, in the, you know, very open self-sovereign identity ecosystem, there are no requirements like that to say, you have to have this certification to be a part of this network. And so, you know, that might be more of a market differentiator on terms of, of wallets or organizations that display that trust mark. Um, so, so yeah, we're being very flexible and agile about the way um, the PCTF is applied, the potential to apply it. Um, in these different models, because not all models are built the same and we have to be able to work in that environment um, because that is the reality of what the ecosystem looks like. And that we don't foresee a singular model um, anytime soon. So we have to plan for that vibrancy and we have to plan for that diversity. So, so we'll see um, progress uh, that is, uh, I think we do see interoperability now. We'll see more verified interoperability, um, both in terms of the technology and the code, but also in terms of the policies and the processes that are being applied. Um, and we'll see that with the Voila Verified Program um, starting in the end of 2021 and then growing through 2022. Uh, that's awesome. I, I love the, the French name in Voila too. So I'm de definitely a fan of this. and. Uh, I could say to people listening that if you see yourself playing within the digital identity ecosystem in Canada, you're going to have to play with others. And this is the, the place to, to start. Um, thank you so much, Joni. Just to, to close, where could people find out more about you or the DIAC if, if they're looking for more information to join? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And thanks for, you know, the work that you're doing um, in the ecosystem and, and for being a DIAC member and, you know, recognizing the importance of this space and making a real and sustained investment in moving um, Canada forward and moving Canada forward in the global landscape. Um, so thanks for all that you're doing. And thanks to everybody who's, you know, listening and taking the time. Um, I'd love to speak with anyone who's interested. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, um, at Joni Brennan, J-O-N-I-B-R-E-N-N-A-N. Um, also, our organization is on Twitter at MyDiac, D-I-A-C-C. Um, and our website is D-I-A-C-C. .ca um, and we have and everything is available in both languages um, so you know you can uh, you can browse in uh, both the official languages of Canada. Um, we are a growing organization. I think when I started we were about 25 members and I think we're 90 now. Um, we have uh, categories that fit all shapes and sizes. We would love to hear from you. We would love to connect your voice to the community. In fact we need to connect your voice to the community so get in touch and um, we'd love to hear what you think and and how we might work together. Beautiful. That's your call to action. Thank you so much, Joni, for doing this. Thank you so much, Matthew. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Joni as much as I did. To make sure you stay current with future episode releases, please subscribe to the SSI Orbit podcast on whatever channel you're listening to it right now. If you have any questions, comments, or you're interested in participating in a future episode, please send an email to ssiorbitpod at gmail.com or find me online through LinkedIn and Twitter under Matsur Glode. Thanks again for tuning in and see you next time.